Welcome to This Week with Sabir, a new episode. Uh, before we get started, I, I do want to recognize our uh, sponsor. They have been part of our journey from uh, literally from day zero when we concepted this show. Uh, so Restream.io is what we use to multicast our show across, uh, uh, you know, across multiple platforms, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and they do support our, our, our RTMP uh, streams across many different platforms. Wherever you're consuming this content, please uh, look for a special link, special offer link for this week with severe audience uh, fans that they have given us. This is there. They've been a fabulous partner for us. Uh, please check them out, uh, restream.io, but look for the special link and click on it. And this week uh, in the hot seat is Kyle Mock. Uh, he's a, a founder of Athletes Brand. Uh, uh, he's the EVP of uh, Turn to Equity Partners uh, and chairman of uh, Campfire. There's a lot of things I said in there. I'm going to ask Kyle to actually unpack it when after I'm done uh, telling you about him. He's the host of uh, the uh, Success at Success uh, podcast, so you should definitely check that out. Uh, it's available everywhere uh, on all the uh, podcasting platforms. Uh, he is a former former uh, baseball player and a leading expert in brand storytelling with focus on professional athletes. So if you have any... If you are a professional athlete or if you have anyone in your life that's a professional athlete or you represent professional athletes, Kyle is your man. You got you to gotta definitely reach out to this guy. And here, here's his accolade and his track record, 1,500 pro athletes, uh, and he has helped them with personal branding and e-commerce. So that's a pretty impressive uh, uh, track record and a specific specialty there in e-commerce that we would definitely tackle in depth as we, as we talk about it. Uh, and he has been uh, definitely a, uh, a brand and marketing advisor for Fortune 500 uh, companies, executives, and entertainers. And, and he's been involved in, in TV, uh, in TV, and also as a film producer. So uh, there's a lot about him. Uh, what I would recommend is definitely uh, check check him out on the web, uh, KyleMock.com. Uh, I'm going to keep that up there. Uh, you know, Kyle's last name is as as long and confusing as my name you know so uh i'm gonna keep that on there so that you guys can definitely visit him and uh welcome to the show kyle awesome i appreciate you having me on so tell me about uh, and tell all of us about athletes brand turn to equity partners and campfire and and there's other other things that you're involved in also so in the way of kind of intro so that people get to know you a, a bit more before we dive into sports and e-commerce mm -hmm. If you could just uh, kind of establish yourself and, and people to get to know you. Yeah, let me break down the, the companies. Um, started Athletes Brand when I was in college. Uh, that was something that was basically a selling t-shirts through a website called screened.com where it was free to do. And that evolved um, what since 2010 over the last 10 years into being a shirt for a cause company um, and brand representation as far as management of players, brands, building their websites, e-commerce, all that sort of stuff for them. Um, over the years, uh, I just took on a role in August of executive VP of Turn Two Equity Partners. Um, that's a group that ha is Dusty Baker, who's the manager of the Astros, um, is is one of the lead wow. partners. Um, uh, Jarrett Sims and, and Peter Stein, Din Man, who is uh, VP of Baseball Advanced Media. Um, they sold to Disney, the biggest sports acquisition of all time. Uh, I believe it's three billion dollars, almost four billion dollars. 
Um, he's helping lead our, our entertainment division. So this portfolio basically is uh, three different areas, one of sports performance, uh, one of uh, commerce and entertainment, and then one is a streaming network. Um, all of it, we plan to unroll over 2021. Investors like Jason Hayward of Chicago Cubs and other players I'm involved. And then Campfire uh, is a annual mastermind. Um, we, we select 20 to 30 people every year, going to crazy location somewhere in the world, obviously not in COVID 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it's a state of mind right now. It's all about Zoom. It is. Yep. Yeah, but it's it's a pretty powerful uh, four day retreat um, where executives and athletes and entertainers kind of come together to really push their discomfort zones uh, by doing different type of group events, uh, bucket list type things, and then having really powerful conversations at night around how we can leverage our platforms and businesses to make a difference for one big chosen cause that we pick as a group uh, throughout that weekend. And so this is kind of a quick summary. Very cool. Actually, early on, I had uh, in one of the episodes, I, I had um, I, I'm a huge wrestling fan, you know, all my life, you know, and, and I'm not ashamed of it. You know, I'm, I, I love wrestling and uh, wrestling entertainment, not Olympic wrestling awesome. or, or UFC for that matter. I just like like WWE, the NWA, stuff like that. So we had Nick Aldis on the show, uh, who's the uh, world heavyweight champion at NWA wrestling, which which had, uh, you know, amazing talent talent like rick flair and and uh, dusty Rhodes and these guys come out of it you know and and one of the things that we talked about is well you know the challenge of because we, we were talking about wrestling and we we're talking about entertainers you know when where one of the things that every professional athlete has to think about and and as just as an insurance policy to begin with is whatever i'm doing it's possible it could end tomorrow like literally it could end what what do i do from that whether it's personal branding e-commerce so we actually with him we talked tackled the uh that topic from an entertainment perspective an athlete uh, as far as wrestling goes and stuff like that and then um and and the meeting i actually the interview went really well from that perspective i want to dig into this side of it which uh from a perfect being a professional athlete whether you are a football player or a baseball player in your case right uh when when you uh tackle that it's a um so where, where do you start that conversation and and more importantly actually before i even jump into that you just dropped a lot of names so how do you know all these celebrities yeah so i, I grew up in a town <laughs> called clown falls oregon southern oregon um, small town uh and my dad played minor league baseball ended up starting a a, a, a equipment rental company that he's still running uh, today um, mom started a party source, she was an entrepreneur, uh, so they were self-made um, people that came from nothing. And, and uh, my dad and my parents kind of raised me to be the same, that whatever whatever we created, as far as me and my brother goes, and my brother, brothers go, is uh, we're going to create our own path um, sort of thing. So I didn't start with connections or with people from my childhood or anything like that, that I knew that one door opened another. Um, instead, it was going to college. I, I started reaching out to people on Twitter and whatnot. Um, Gary V was one of the guys who, in Crush It, had mentioned that if you email him, he'll respond to every email. Um, I emailed him. He responded. Uh, so that those little things started giving a kid that had no confidence growing up. I was, I was very confident in sports when it came to school and people and relationships and friends and girls and all that sort of stuff. I didn't have any confidence um, until college. 
when I started to push those boundaries. Um, but it was that one little kind of push from seeing that Gary V would respond to then connecting with another guy called Lewis Howes, uh, which at that time he had a, a business called Sports Networker, um, where it was just teaching people how to get into the sports industry. And uh, I'd reached out to him when he said that your big thing that you have to do to get into sports is it's about who you know, and it's about the connections and the network that you have um, to get in and get an opportunity with the team. And you have to go to these events. And, and he said, if you've got $500 and it costs $500 to fly out to LA to, to an event, do it because it's worth that sort of thing. And my response to him, I emailed him and said, Hey, Lewis, I, I'm playing college baseball right now. I don't have $500. I don't have time. I can't just go leave and go to an event unless it's here in Shreveport, Louisiana. And which the sports industry wasn't a big in industry in, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, mm -hmm. And so his response to that was, he goes, well, start your own. And I said, well, I'm a college kid. Why would anybody want to come that I want to connect with? And he goes, well, they don't need to know that. He goes, just start it and see who comes. I'm like, okay. So I created one, got on LinkedIn, um, started reaching out to everybody in the Louisiana area from New Orleans to Baton Rouge, Shreveport. Uh, even some people in Dallas, which is three hours away, and uh, started inviting people on LinkedIn, asking them to come to this event. I called it a sports industry happy hour. I got Buffalo Wild Wings to give free food, appetizers, wings, all that wow. stuff. Um, got about 50, 60 RSVPs, if I remember right. It's been a while now. Uh, and then the event happens, and three people showed up. And so I got this huge table with all these all these wings and stuff out. So I told told Buffalo Wild Wings like we need fifty like food for fifty people and all this and and uh, three people show up. Um, going through, I end up apologizing uh, to to one of the guys and and while while we're talking, and I just say, hey, like sorry that uh, there wasn't more people here. I thought there's going to be more people, and I'm sorry if this is like a waste of your time. And it's about a half hour into it. He goes, he goes, man, he goes, don't, don't worry about it. He goes, you got to think about who's here. He was the people that are here. And he was a sports agent in the area. He, he discovered Miranda Lambert, the country singer. And he was a pretty big deal down there. And, and you just uh, needed him one person. Yeah. Not yeah. even three. <laughs> exactly. And, th and that's what he said. He goes, look at these people here. You've got the, the sports editor for the three, four times. He goes, I've never met him. He's awesome. Um, I forget who the other person was now. And there's another person. He, he said that that person's value. I think that I think it was like an AD or assistant AD at Louisiana Shreveport or uh, LSUS, Louisiana State Shreveport. Mm -hmm. um, and he goes, it's the quality of the people that are here. He goes, I want to do this again. He goes, do it again. He goes, I don't care how many people come. So that gave me from being just in this like embarrassed moment where all these people, I thought they had huge expectations. and I let them down sort of thing. Um, but it turned to, wow, like, you're right. These are people that I would, that I'm honored to be connected with now. So I did the next one and that grew bigger and it's still, it's still the same thing, quality and that grew bigger. Um, but that opened up this door of creating these events in Shreveport. And then when I got out of college, doing them in Los Angeles, uh, and started having people that were Olympic gold medalists and NFL pro bowlers and whatnot showing up, um, friends of mine that ended up getting drafted, um, in baseball and and making it to the show and then also connecting with with other guys uh, that i'd met through them so it kind of kept evolving from that initial impact point of gary v saying that you could respond to anybody and then i get the response it's like oh people do see this stuff they don't just say it 
and then reaching out to guys like The Rock and oh, wow. Terry Crews and these other people. Um, and I ended up finding that within, if people are responding, and this is on Twitter in 2010, 11, um, if they were, if they were on Twitter posting and I responded or sent them a DM in the next minute or two after they posted, they were typically responding to me. So that was like my opening door of, well, shoot, I can just offer value and try to figure out how to help these people and never ask of anything from them ever and see if that's a way that I can help be of at least use to them. And maybe somewhere down the road, uh, there's an opportunity for them to be of use for what I'm doing and create a double value situation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it started from was that and then patience and trying to create real relationships with people and not just giving asks. I was, I was never giving asks. It was more so when do things actually make sense? When can I reach out to them with real value? Um, so that was kind of what started it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, there, uh, let me unpack some of the things you said there. Uh, two things. One, it, it's funny how our minds work, right, as human beings. The first thing we do whenever we're making any kind of decision, and, and this is not meant to be a motivational speech here, you know, it's, it's more like, you know, if, if to help the uh, kind of the entrepreneurs and others out, whoever's watching, like literally the first things that come to our mind, like it did with you, right? All the, all the reasons why you don't want to do that, mm-hmm. right? Whatever you're trying to do, right? All the reasons you put up all the walls. Why? Nobody's going to show up. Nobody cares about me. I'm a college student. Your list of all the no's is pretty, pretty, pretty long list. Right. And, and what, what's funny is, and I think I read it somewhere in, in kind of neuroscience or something like that. Literally, our, our mind makes a decision within, the, within a split second, in the first split second. Like as soon as your, your mind says you, you want to do something, your mind says, no, don't do it because defensive, very defensive. Like don't do it, all of these reasons. If you give it five seconds, your mind convinces you to not completely ever do it, ever, you know? So that's how long it takes. It, that's how long it takes for you to not do something, right? And, and and what, what I have found is every time I, I find myself doing that, I go on the opposite, right? Yeah. I want to find all the reasons why why I need to do it, right? Not why I don't, I cannot do it, you know? So it's uh, it's something that uh, to be mindful of. And, you, and you've seen the results in your personal life, right? When you uh, made that decision, like your step one was, Here's a guy, Gary V. He's saying that, hey, email me, DM me. I'm going to respond to you. I'm going to respond to every email DM. Uh, by the way, I worked with the guy. I know that he does that. You know, Personally, he does that. Especially on Twitter, he's he's the one who's DMing back and, and responding back to people. I've seen him do that like 24-7. Uh, he does sleep, though. You know, People uh, misunderstand him. They think that he doesn't sleep. He gets his eight hours of sleep. The um, So that's something that I, I think taking action is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. Like deciding to take action, let's say even you're 100% wrong. The output you get from that, uh, the wrong thing that you did is a, a ton of learning that no school can replace. Right. Right. Like if you don't know anything about Google ads, right? We go like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, let me, let me review it. This is how you set up an ad. I'm going to put 10 bucks behind this ad. I'm going to see when I wrote the ad, did people click on it? Okay, cool. People are clicking on my ad, you know, 
uh, do, do I need to reduce it to only run it in Louisiana? I don't want to. I don't want to run it everywhere. You know, there's a ton of experience you can get from even failing, right? That that's actually, I, I think the learnings you get from failing is much better than success. You know, <laughs> because success, your ego kicks in and you go like, oh, it's all because of me. I I I did this thing. Right. Versus versus all of this, uh, you know, versus the failures that could actually, I call it deep scars. You know. The more deep scars you have, the more learning you have. So even that one sentence coming out of your mouth has a lot of meaning to me, you know, because you can say that, oh, I worked on this. The, you know, you have 1,500 athletes. I'm sure that out of the 1,500, you, you have probably at least 15,000 stories to tell where, you know, uh, 10,000 of them may have been success, but the other 5,000 that didn't work yeah. may have worked great for one athlete, may not have worked for another athlete, but you learned quite a lot from that, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, how do you create collaborations? Like when, when you if, if you're thinking about the recipe of like brand and, and professional athlete, how do you bring those two together? What, what is the magic formula there? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, my goal and I kind of discovered it by accident after helping players try to find their cause. Um, so that's where we started with athletes brand as the big value add for players was not just doing a t-shirt with them and designing a shirt and giving it to a cause. But after a few big failures and campaigns, um, I realized that just because an athlete's tied with a cause doesn't mean that the campaign is going to be successful. And what I saw as far as the consistency went was whenever a player actually had a real relationship with the cause, meaning that they suffer from something that the cause is trying to help beat or a family member, there had to be some kind of personal connection with them. Um, the more personally connected with they were, the more connected with the consumer and the more involved that the player was. Um, so there's more longevity to it. So it changed basically into how can I find the right cause for the player? One that they can actually be passionate about and excited about. Um, so I started having conversations with guys and they would be, zoom calls or skype i guess at that time and and uh, and phone calls and whatnot where it was just trying to get to know them it was what was their past uh what were things they'd experienced throughout their life because not every athlete would come and say hey like i know this is the exact foundation i want to do i want to do it for bullying or something like that typically it was an athlete coming and saying hey i want to do something for a cause and I'd be like oh cool like what cause you say oh i mean i don't know like, could do something for like baseball or, or something like that. Kids that can't afford equipment. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's, let's see if there might be something else too, because that was such a consistent thing for players to say. Um, so then it was, okay, well, what were some life experiences? So what I would ask a guy and, and ended up turning it into my formula was, can you tell me five experiences that, that just might be tough experiences? The first one that first ones that come to mind all the way from your very first memory that you can think of to a, as a kid to today. Uh, what are just five tough memories? Now, I wouldn't say bad. I wouldn't say sad or anything like that because it starts to change in their mind what is constituted as bad or sad. Um, and then it would create a conversation around that. So they might say some things from like dropping ice cream on their shoes when they're at a carnival when they're nine years old and they thought dad was mad at them or something like that, you know, all the way to losing a friend in a drive-by shooting. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it could be some really dark stuff and some really light stuff. And every player I started to realize had very, very different stories. It's like people, it's what athletes are. And so it go from that to, okay, now what are some like good memories? 
you know, like all the way to the earliest that you can remember, five of them to today. And those ones were easier to say. Um, so we kind of bounced back and forth if there wasn't anything that just specifically stood out. Um, typically within a conversation with an athlete, it'll take less than an hour and something's going to stand out very brightly uh, to where it might be a cancer or it might be something that they've experienced. Uh, one athlete is testicular cancer. Didn't even know that about him. He never talked about it. It's kind of a embarrassing stigma that he had to deal with in high school. Uh, mm -hmm. But realizing now this is where I take him to the next step of the formula is, okay, well, what value does that have? Did that happen to you on an accident sort of thing? Um, or is this something that makes you insanely unique to be able to connect with a group of people that are really struggling uh, with the thing that that was a hardship in your life and your experience, how you overcame it, where you are today now. Um, that player was a New York Yankee. He was a, a rookie at the time when we did that campaign. And uh, so you could have that story from having testicular cancer in high school to now you're a New York Yankee playing in the biggest market team in the world. Uh, fulfilling people's dreams, like in, in that sense. Um, so now getting that understanding of, okay, well, what's the benefit of them and how does it connect and help people's lives too? Now, how can we monetize this? Um, Cause I think that in, in my philosophy, it's that you can have an awesome cause. You can understand how it benefits people, but it doesn't have legs and longevity for a person, especially an athlete who's being pursued by so many companies and so many opportunities all the time. It doesn't have longevity if it doesn't put food on their table um, in the sense of how can they monetize it and create this into something that could potentially be their post-career opportunity because one, they care about it. Two, they understand how it's helping people. But now three, they understand that they can put money and time into it because it's getting an ROI for them. Um, and in those three steps, uh, my outlook is that if you do those three things, that's going to create your legacy. There is no, how do I build a legacy and how do I create this thing of how people remember me by, you don't have to think about it. If you're focused on impact, your story and monetizing it, um, if you can't monetize it, make money, then it doesn't have legs. Now, now in, in, sticking with that example there, now with, with that train of thought, if um, now I'm an athlete, I, I get it, right? I understand that let's say XYZ is the cause I want to be involved in, whatever that is. It could be disease. It could be other causes, you know, it could be the climate change or whatever. Now, now when it comes to how am I supporting it as, as, a, as an athlete, am I uh, running a gala and, and people are coming in and, and, you know, d uh, donating to this cause or uh, am I creating a, I mean, what, there are many different ways you could do that, right? I could come up with merchandise and every merchandise sale has a certain percentage that goes to the cause. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of those kind of creative and, and uh, strategic ways you can actually uh, both monetize your, your, your uh, revenue stream for you as well as help the cause? Yeah, I think that for me, I, I feel like I'm very clear and that's my value that I offer people is in creative strategy, coming up with unique ways to be able to make something uh, happen, whether it's telling a story or monetizing or, or whatnot. Um, so it varies from player to player. So for example, there's an athlete that their, camp, their thing was after I talked to him for about an hour and a half, I realized there wasn't really anything negative that, had, that stood out to him um, that happened in his life. Uh, but also he didn't like the idea of like, it, it, it wasn't comfortable for him to go see a sick kid in a hospital, which 
wouldn't be comfortable for me either. And I could relate to him in that just because it's really sad. It's hard to do um, to where that could affect his career. If that was his thing and he's going a couple times a week and doing it like Russell Wilson does, that's a gift that Russell Wilson has. Um, mm -hmm. But for him, he lights up and he's strong and at his best when we're talking about family. Um, that's where I could see his real value and his real legs as far as being excited about something uh, came in. So for him, it wasn't necessarily doing a cause campaign or a merch store or social media. It was more so putting him in there with people and doing like family game nights, taking kids uh, that are in foster care and, and kids and, and parents maybe that never had good upbringings themselves, or real family atmosphere so they could go experience what his insanely awesome family was like growing up. Um, and that was something that lit him up and that could be turned into a business because it could be turned into a foundation. So doing a lot of good while also being able to have his spouse be able to make money and run it uh, while he's playing and then segue this into his post-career focus. Um, so it was doing events um, where there's other people, which it's more so they've got brand recognition. Um, they've got a cause that, that can be like, like testicular cancer or like uh, Crohn's and colitis um, that can really reach a national platform just based on awareness alone and make a massive impact. And those turn into merch stores and foundations, um, creating content like videos and, and whatnot, and really taking a focus into their social media. Um, so those are kind of the different ways, I guess, that you can look at it with athletes is there is no one size fits all. Uh, for people in general, in my opinion. Um, mm. I don't think that everybody should have a clothing line. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think that everybody could if they did it right, but I don't think everybody should. Um, and and especially if everybody is doing it, then what <laughs> makes it so unique? I mean, then you're depending, depending, I guess, so much on your brand, on your personal brand, and that's the distinguishing part of it, that your merch, because it's you, has value right uh, if everybody else is doing it too you know right right yeah uh, when when should i as an athlete wh where, when do you recommend for athletes to start thinking about what does uh like post-retirement look like and when should they start thinking about getting and setting up these businesses because if they are at the height of their career or start of their career they're so focused on their game, right? Whatever sports that, that they're playing that, uh, you know, they may not even be thinking about the future, you know, that, that uh, you know what, I'm gonna do this for 10 years or seven years or 15 years and then that's what next, you know? Because they're at the very beginning of it or at, in, the, in the first three years of it and they're really hot, you know? I've noticed this shift start to happen um, in sports with athletes just over the last three years. Uh, to where younger athletes are being very more aware to off-field opportunity and very more aware to leveraging their platform now to make money then, you know, down the road. Um, but a few years ago, I had an interview on, on my podcast uh, as Lewis Howes and Ashton Eaton. Ashton Eaton is uh, arguably the best athlete of all time for Olympic um, sake. He's won the gold medal in the decathlon two, three times. Um, and at this point, uh, this interview is a month before the Olympics. And he ended up deciding after the Olympics to retire. And on this 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 uh, show, um, we'd asked him, basically, has he started thinking about retirement? Uh, what's he doing now to be able to segue right into it? And as a track athlete, 
that's the hardest one out of any sport that I've dealt with to set guys up for post career because it's basically only during the Olympics do brands see value in a majority of, of the, the potential medalists. Um, outside of the Olympics, the other three years, the value is only in the top 1% of athletes um, in the Olympics. And that's where the sponsors lie, all that sort of stuff. So his response to it was, he goes, no, he goes, I'm, I'm not thinking about that because my problem is that if I put even 1% of my time or my energy or my thoughts into uh, not being the best in the world, not getting a gold medal, not trying to be the best that I can be at, at, at my sport and improve myself, because that 1% in my sport could be the difference between an Olympic gold medal and not qualifying for the Olympics. And so it's interesting because there are those mindsets. And I understand that um, from that standpoint, that that, that could be the shift, that, that 1% could change for, for a sport like that, specifically where team sports, you can have other guys pick you up on bad days sort of thing. Mm. Um, but at the same time, what I want to encourage athletes to do, which younger athletes are doing now, is he doesn't need to be focusing on that 1%. What he could have been doing, because uh, he was in every his big picture in every Nike store and outlet across the country. Um, he was Nike's poster boy from Eugene, Oregon, where Nike was created with Phil Knight and all that stuff, um, to where they ended up dropping him to a year ago or two, um, completely uh, after he'd retired. Um, and he doesn't have that big brand awareness to continue. I don't think he cares, but to continue to grow his brand, uh, now today, based off of all the value that Nike had brought him because of all the value that he brought Nike. Right. Um, so what he could have been doing while he's playing was hired somebody to have that be their sole focus, to be building up his brand, to be pursuing a business endeavor that he was interested in. He just didn't want to put the time into, he started it the day that he ended up uh, uh, retiring. Um, but somebody else could have been building that and running that for him while he had all the eyes in the world on him on the biggest stages and all that sort of stuff. Um, so what I would want to tell athletes in that sense is because that's an extreme example right there. Um, mm. But I'd want to tell athletes to think about it from that perspective that you don't have to be the one that is doing all of the time and energy uh, more. So it should be setting up meetings to where you're getting breakdowns, you're getting briefs um, from people that are trusted and well, well vetted. Have your agent vet these people if that's the person that you trust the most. Um, don't just pick somebody that emailed you on uh, <laughs> and said, hey, I've got this idea because I've noticed that that's what a lot of athletes do is the first person that says, hey, I believe in you and here's what I'm going to do and make you all this money. They say, yeah, let's do it because they've got $20,000 to take a chance on in their mind. Um, but those poachers, as, as I like to call them, it's they're going out and they're trying to find those quick hits. They don't care if it lasts forever. They want the $20,000 and they go get the next person. So make sure that they're well vetted. But the people that are well vetted could make the complete difference in your your eventual uh, retirement transition. Um, whether that's today when you have an injury that ends your career, uh, like almost happened to Alex Smith, quarterback, um, or... 10, 15, 20 years from now, depending on your sport. Uh, it, thinking about your post-career doesn't mean that you're considering yourself not good enough to continue to play, which is what I've noticed a lot of a lot of athletes have the mindset of is if you're thinking about retirement, that could take away and negate your ability to think about being the greatest in the world. Um, mm -hmm. So entrust others. No, I mean, if you 
let's say if you're really good, let's let's start at high school, right? You're you're an athlete. Let's start at like literally at kind of ground zero, right? You're an athlete, football player, baseball player. You're doing really well in high school, right? As an athlete, um, should you start at at that stage to start to? Because the thing is, just just like um, just like when you go to the gym, you don't bench 600 pounds, right? <laughs> you know, overnight you cannot become an e-commerce expert, right? Or you cannot become a social media guru or an influencer. And those are different muscles, completely different muscles from baseball or whatever you know sports you're playing should you start at that time to kind of make it part of you uh, even starting at that early on to start managing your brand and start managing uh, and learning this much about running a business you know i i think so yeah that's a good example because you can't be hiring a manager and whatnot to be running and building your brand as a as a high school kid that goes against ncaa regulations you could lose your eligibility um, so as a, as a youth athlete, it, I think it is vital because of the brands that they're building on accident when they're getting on TikTok and you're the number five ranked wide receiver in the country in high school, just because of that exposure and getting on these like max prep lists and whatnot, um, you're getting followers and we're getting people wanting to see what you're doing and, and wanting to engage with you. You're getting people wanting you to fail. Um, you're getting people wanting you to succeed. You're getting the whole gamut. But from the perspective of a 16, 17 year old kid that doesn't know how to handle it. Um, so my advice like for, for kids in that age is more so not as much treating it as a business, um, but more so treating it as, okay, what are the things that are fun for you? And use that time to be able to get to be yourself in a sense. Um, so growing, growing your platforms in the way of, uh, it could be Twitch and gaming. It could be, uh, just sharing your highlights in sports. Um, it could be sharing your interests, that sort of thing. Uh, but the reason being is because once these kids uh, get into college, it becomes even more of a business and even more so now with California, uh, being able to monetize college athletes brands. Um, so now kids can actually make money from being a college athlete in California starting next year, uh, which has never been done before. Wow. Um, it could go out through the rest of the NCAA. We'll see. I, I'm still shocked that NCAA is, is, a, is not shutting down California yet, but, um, but it, it is starting to shift in that favor of athletes getting paid at an amateur status. And in my experience uh, as an athlete and then also dealing with athletes is if it becomes a business, and you, you start to focus more more on the business instead of the sport, you start to lose yourself in the sport. And not every athlete can continue to be great at what they do if they don't have the passion and the focus in their sport. Um, so that's kind of where it becomes this, this uh, shaky area of how much time do you invest into your business and building this brand as a kid, uh, while also making sure that you don't lose what makes you great which is the passion and the work ethic that got you to have that platform in the first place. Right. Um, but, but, but it, Kyle, isn't it similar to when, you know, like entrepreneurs, right. Very similar because uh, business is a bloody sport also, you know, <laughs> running a business is a bloody sport. Uh, like as an entrepreneur, 
uh, you might be working uh, daytime at Google or you could be working at BP or gas station, doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. But on the side of it, you may be uh, starting this thing up like a side hustle, like in the words of Gary Vee, start up your, uh, you know, like your side hustle. Yeah. You, you start that up and you hit that inflection point where it makes sense for you to pivot. For you to pivot, does it make sense for you? And you went through that decision making in your business too. When do you hire your first employee, right? To run that, the thing so that you no longer have to do that thing. Because as soon as you realize that you are working inside the business and not on your business, that means that you just bought yourself a job basically. So for those athletes, if they are in that business and they are they're so focused on running that business then they're not focused on their 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 talent being right. being a professional athlete or amateur ap athlete you know mm -hmm. uh so in that in when you get to that point and you see that okay you know what this has this is turning into a job even if you're not making any money on it can i hire someone to do this for me so I don't have to do it so that I can I can go and what I'll do is I'll watch it on a weekly basis so that I can hire Jim and Jim can handle this for me. I don't have to uh, I, don't, I don't have to handle this. I'm going to go and play baseball. I want to get better as a boxer. I want to I want to make sure that I'm not off my game in, in football, uh, stuff like that. I th is the decision making very similar in that sense? I mean, to me, it makes sense to do that, you know, I, I think so. And because thing with amateur athletes is once they get to that 200,000, 250,000 mark in Instagram followers, they're almost destined in 2020 to be pushing that half million mark by the time that they get drafted. Um, Cause those kids are the top five, top 10% of, of high school and college athletes. Right. And when you get to that point, it does start to take away because Social media is addic addicting. Ex yeah. Exposure is addicting, um, especially for a kid who's starting now to see money get thrown at him and have opportunity be thrown at him and all these other dreams that are bigger or that are outside of this dream of their sport. And the quicker that you can take that off your plate to where you're not having to have that be the distraction, the better. Um, the dangerous thing for amateur athletes is, once again, how many poachers there are in, in sport, not just sports, but entertainment as well um to where they come in and they try to take advantage of of these families like you see the zion williamson case where uh, this person ended up suing him because because he switched um, essentially and uh, i think the struggle is that they need somebody in their corner as a manager as an advisor um, and that's where the rules start to get sticky with ncaa is they don't want the pro status once you have an agent and whatnot to start to muddy the waters with the kid. But in my opinion, a lot of these kids need advisors. They need, they need uh, agents, they need managers um, to be able to help them kind of navigate them down that road, right? So look at, look at a LaMelo ball. So the ball brothers, uh, these guys, LaMelo blew up at a hundred point game or something like that when what he was 15, I'm, I'm probably wrong the numbers, but somewhere around there. And, uh, at that point, it ended up changing the shape, like the the career path that he went down. Uh, they ended up saying that because they had, they started, his dad started a shoe company and uh, he was wearing the shoes and part of the company at the NCAA started saying that he's breaking NCAA rules because you're not supposed to have a sponsor, even though it was his own company that him and his dad had started. 
Um, so he ended up just saying, screw the NCAA and went over and played overseas. Uh, they ended up hiring a firm to be able to, to run his brand, um, which his family kind of kept a lot of it in house in, in a sense. But even he, because they didn't do vetting, um, even they got taken advantage of and somebody smuggled a lot of money out of, out of their business uh, over those few years. And that's where I'm more so would want to call upon the NCAA and on pro sports in a sense of for these guys to be able to monetize their brands. And cause not, not a lot of them have anybody around them that knows anything about business. It's more so who do you trust when they come to you? And a lot of people are really good at getting people to trust them. And so when they go to you and, and then you trust them and then getting screwed over, there's no system really in place outside of saying, oh, you can't have agents. That actually helps these players to build and monetize those brands as their kids. Um, so I want to create a course, basically, that would help them down that path. Uh, and I don't think that it's just amateur athletes. I think it's anybody who jumps into fame all of a sudden and how to handle that and how to find the right people around you, uh, when to monetize it. Cause my number is that 250 mark of when I, I think that players are in that point as a under 18 year old, they get 250,000 thousand followers on a platform as a, as a youth athlete, that that's that point of, okay, well, they need help now in managing this. They can focus on their sport and not end up getting sucked down a wormhole that gets them in trouble. And I, I think we that's how we end up actually losing very talented people also, right? So it's not it does not only end up affecting the athlete personally, but it also affects the game because it's mm -hmm. all the games they will not play or they or they will not be involved in. And that's going to be a, a, a big miss for whatever team that they would be part of and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned um uh, several times you mentioned follower count, 250,000 and so on. Uh, with with digital and uh, social media marketing, it's not just the followers, right? It's, there is uh, There are many other, to me, a CRM, right, uh, is not just, uh, uh, it's not just follower counts you have on your Instagram or, or followers you have on Facebook or, or TikTok or likes you have and stuff like that. There are other things uh, where where do you focus them? Like, how do you, what does that strategy look like when you, when, is it very holistic or is it you know, primarily just social media driven? So this is kind of a cool way to tie in uh, with, with turn two. Um, so we're, with turn two, we're building a company called players, P-L-A-Y-R-S. And this is going to be a social marketplace uh, for athletes. So on Instagram and TikTok and everywhere else, it would be the link that we want athletes to be able to send people to. And the value in this is we want to create real hard data uh, for uh, the players to be able to show to brands um, of actual engagement and actual uh, uh, value that they can offer specific topics, right? Um, so this is kind of where it gets into that area of for, for, for brand value for players, it's, it's not followers at all. Uh, when it comes to sponsorships or anything like that, especially in the age of buying followers. Uh, it's more so in the spectrum of, okay, what? how does the audience that you have actually relate to potential brands? What, what interests, what similar interests do they have to potential brands? What's your story that connects with potential brands? And now what engagement rates and comments and, and uh, clicks on links and all that sort of stuff goes 
uh, can you actually provide um, to the brands and athletes to this point, uh, nobody's ever shared with them that data for use. Uh, so what we're doing with players is that the data will be co-shared as far as email list goes and demographics and all that sort of stuff uh, to where the NFL and NBA, NBA and, and Nike and Adidas and anybody else. Uh, some of the biggest value that they get from an athlete isn't the money that's driven in shoe sales or ticket sales. It's the data now that they've collected to better fine tune it over the next 100 years uh, as they continue to collect more data on the users and the type of athletes and what type of athletes are connected with what type of people and where are they from and all that sort of stuff. Um, but where the athletes get left out is the use and the understanding of that data. Uh, so we're basically building that out for them so that they're driving traffic into it, into our system, and then allowing essentially the athletes to be able to have this data to build their own brands or use for their foundations and whatnot um, and use for brand uh, sponsorship opportunities, bringing in brand sponsorships uh, through their platforms to distribute throughout all their other social media platforms. Um, but then also jumping into the space of merchandising, right? So e-commerce. And my outlook is that the future of e-commerce isn't fanatics. Um, the future of e-commerce is individual player stores, is that players will be monetizing their own brands. Uh, and in 2020, it's more important for athletes to understand that now than it ever has been. Uh, when unions and whatnot were created to be able to help the players make sure they weren't getting taken advantage of by street vendors selling Reggie Jackson shirts in the 70s um, and him not getting a cut. Uh, now it's become a era of of sports and entertainment and monetization to where an athlete can jump on shopify and create their own merchandise store for essentially a couple hundred bucks if you take into hosting and that sort of stuff and have something up um, they could be updating it through a platform like printful mm -hmm. and having print on demand products there's so many ways for them to be monetizing that to the point to where trevor bauer um, was a client of mine a baseball player cyan award winner this last year um, I built out his his store originally, and and that thing did more money in sales than he got from his annual licensing check uh, from from the from the union, which is the cut that they get from monetizing their brand through merchandising through companies like like Five Hundred Level and, and Fanatics and whatnot. So not only does he get that licensing check now from the union and MLB, but he's also getting his own revenue check, which was doing more money in sales and profits than he was getting from, from uh, the licensing deal. Um, so my outlook is that players will start having their own stores, whether it's on our platform called players or whether it's on their own personal website, uh, because it's so easy and so cheap to create now. They've just not given, they haven't been given any guidance to this point to do it. Are, are there any issues with like compliance or restrictions? Because you just mentioned NCAA earlier mm -hmm. and you said that, um, you know, there are restrictions when you are an amateur athlete out of high school. There are restrictions on you when it comes to like setting up for that athlete to set up a Shopify store. Uh, what gets in the way of them doing that or, or what are the restrictions of how much can they do and what they cannot do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with pro, we'll start, I'll start with pro sports, with pro sports, uh, their deal with the MLBPA or NFLPA, as that's the players' unions, yeah. um, is that they own their rights and the union owns their rights to their likeness and their name and image and whatnot. Um, so they can go create their own store. Just most players don't know that. 
they, they haven't thought about it, that they can go create their own product with their face and their name and all that sort of stuff on it um, and sell it themselves. They don't have to rely on just the licensees. Um, whereas amateur athletes, uh, as far as I understand it in California, um, this is all new stuff that's happening, but is that the players can now go create uh, and monetize their own brand um, based off of their celebrity that they're getting while playing at USC or at UCLA or Cal and whatnot. Um, the pre-college, I don't know the rules well enough to want to speak on it right now. I know it well enough for me to have a side conversation, but not give advice on um, as far as players building and monetizing their brand through merchandise or whatnot. I know that they can't be getting sponsors. Um, I know that, that uh, they can't be getting drafted. <laughs> this is Griffey. Griffey who, appearance here. who let the dogs out? Come here, buddy. Yeah. Come here. Let him go. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, so. I mean, it does, uh, let's go with that athlete that has 250,000 followers getting to 500,000 followers on Instagram, right? Monetization to me also means uh, that you have this power of 500,000 followers. Let's say it's organically grown and not bought, right? Mm -hmm. They've legitimately actually grew it to half a million followers. Uh, and you could actually monetize that, that, follow, that follower account, whether you, you are showing sponsored, uh, products, promotions, and stuff like that without really selling a merchandise, right? right? You're just selling uh, impressions on your account. It, it, do the restrictions apply to that too? Or is it is it just, uh, is, is it hard commerce like phonetics or licensing and, and things like that? It's, it, it's really, there's so much gray area with NCAA rules. And I'm sure there's somebody listening that, that knows more about it than I do in, in this sense because I, I work in pro sports. Um, but with, with college kids, it's my understanding is that they could create their own merchandise lines and whatnot, as long as they weren't profiting off of their name and image from their sport. And I'd like somebody to correct me if, if I'm wrong, that's listening. Um, but something that's really cool that we can touch on is their Twitch handles, their gamer handles, that sort of stuff. Even with pro athletes, those don't fall under the licensing rules or for anybody. Um, so mm -hmm. you can start thinking outside of the box now and with, with how big some athletes and entertainers, musicians and actors and, and Instagrammers and everything else go as far as their social media handles or gamer handles go, you can start monetizing that as a completely separate brand. And there's real value in the esports community for monetizing, monetizing that. Um, so that would be kind of a, a insider workaround loophole, uh, if, you, if you may, of, of how to get get through that door. I mean, if you are a, let's say, a physical athlete, right, pro athlete, and uh, your day, day job is pro baseball player, right? What what if you're an incredible esports football player, mm -hmm. right? Do the rules apply in that in that sense? And now you have created a, an amazing personality. The reason I bring that up is uh, there is a character on WWE. His name is uh, Xavier Woods, right? He's, he's an amazing gamer on Twitch. His gaming has nothing to do with wrestling at all, right? And, and he has created this other personality as a gamer, right? So in, in that kind of a similar kind of a, a scenario with, with a, a pro baseball player, 
But when you look at his profile on on Twitch, he's an amazing football player. Right. Do the rules apply if if uh, he's getting sponsors as an esports football player? It depends on the WWE's contract they've got with them. I know the UFC uh, they own their athletes a lot more than the NFL and NBA do. Um, there's different rules and different uh, ownership over the name and images that go, but with major sport like the the three the big three right NFL NBA um, MLB um, the Twitch gaming esports it doesn't fall under that until you're using their name and image but if the player is using himself he can do that as long as he's not using his if he plays for the Seattle Seahawks he's not using the Seahawks logo or the NFL logo right he's just using so, his own name and that's who he is his own image, he can create brand and everything else around all of that. Um, as long as he's not using logos, and so. Okay, now, now, when when do you you know how should athletes uh, prepare for life after sports? So they had a career, uh, you know. Uh, we just jumped from high school all the way to now retirement. <laughs> you know, now, now let's say they're there. When when did, should they? plan for it when do they when should they start how should they plan for it i mean that's what what you do uh that's your daytime job basically helping them what do those conversations uh feel like and and what what do they what do you advise them there's kind of a bell curve with athletes um in the sense that as they're coming up through the minor leagues they've got all this interest to monetize their brand and set up their businesses and create merch stores and all that stuff right and then they get to their height they become an all-star win a world series or whatever it is and all of a sudden now they've got all this money in the bank they've got this attention their interest for that stuff starts to wane it starts to change to where i don't need that anymore um then they start dipping down to that point of considering retirement and it comes back all right so the reality is is that players need to be thinking about it um, the day that they become a potential draft pick and thinking about it doesn't mean that you're saying you're not good enough to have a 20 year career. Think about it means that you're smart enough to be leveraging the time that you're, that you have while you're in this career to understand that all the doors, all the C-suite executives and the teams and all the players that you get to play with and against along the way are opportunities for you to build relationships that could be massively beneficial for the day that retirement hits because for every athlete there's no athlete that's not susceptible to this the day that they retire it's almost like you lost somebody it's almost like somebody very very close to you died in the sense of all of a sudden this thing that you've been doing since you're six years old and training for and you have these goals so you know what your next steps are your routines for the off season and in season um, you're constantly around you're a team athlete, you're constantly around other athletes. Uh, and so what they should be doing to pre prepare for this sense of disconnect from community, that's really what it is. This, this brother and sisterhood that they've got with their trainers and everybody else, the camaraderie, um, they need to be leveraging their, their career from the day that they, that they're a potential draft pick to all the way throughout their career in the sense of building relationships and connecting with people um, taking advantage of meeting people that are in the front office and then getting to that point well, while you're if you're in the minor leagues and baseball you know that point to where you do actually start to monetize your brand through merchandising 
right? I don't suggest guys to start foundations until they're well, well established in a league and they actually have a cause behind it. But monetize it through merchandise, uh, monetize it through passions. Like it could be gaming, it could be other other ways to do that. Because you, know, you can connect sponsorships in those ways. But while you're doing that, you have those set up. You're building followers. You're building email lists. That's super important for athletes to be focusing on is email lists, not just social media followers. Because Instagram can disappear and you lose them all. Email list you get to keep. Um, so using that time to build up those those email lists and discover what it is that you're actually passionate about beyond your sport. Um, something that you actually care about that could actually be fun uh, and, and get those avenues going so that when you have that thing that you're actually passionate about, excited about, you've got an email list, you've got a foundation, you've got people used to buying your products and not just solely used to seeing you in your sport. Um, or collect those, even if you don't know what you don't want to do. So given all of the value you have delivered during this uh, uh, interview, what is your number one like must have that you ask every pro athlete amateur athlete to follow what is your number one recommendation as far as what would be an example? as far as managing their career and wh whether it's pre post or pre mm -hmm. thinking about e-commerce i mean e-commerce is a good easy way to do it uh and and social and uh, you know digital you okay. have more control over it versus others like, what is your number one recommendation for whoever's watching this? Uh, if they're a pro athlete, if they're yeah. watching it, what advice would you give them? That I mean, I, I, I did put, you don't have to say it. I, you should definitely talk to Kyle. <laughs> That's his <laughs> website. That's number one. What, what, so what, besides that, what is the, what's the other one? It's, it, I can't stress it enough because it's the biggest issue when it comes to business with athletes is vet the people that are in your business sphere. Vet them. Make sure that, that you talk to your agent, talk to other people um, before you give money to people because uh, there's so many marketing people and, and e-commerce experts and all these other things, <laughs> contacting guys through DMs on Instagram and whatnot, telling them that these guarantees and then charge them $10,000 for a website that could have been done in 1997. You know, and that's, that's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. I just saw this done not even a month ago um, by, by a former client. And uh, it, it's constantly happening. So vet the people that are doing the business. And what I mean by vet it is see their results, not just if they're likable people and whatnot, but have them show you proof of what types of returns that they've done. See the numbers. Um, make sure that you Google when you Google them, you're actually able to find stuff about them, um, that the website that they're expressing is reflective of what you would want your brand um to look like or have the capabilities to be uh, so make sure that you do your research don't just say yes because somebody believed in you and sweet talked their way in because uh, that's my biggest my biggest pet peeve in sports is how many people take advantage of athletes just because athletes can give not all athletes a very small percentage can give 10 to twenty thousand dollars not feel like it took a hit on them they can take that risk you know and so vet them and th that person that's doing that to them might be just cheating them out if they hit like 10 athletes that means two hundred thousand dollars they just stole basically well, well not much skill set i can say it from this perspective too that i can tell when somebody doesn't know what they're doing when working with an athlete when they launch a brand with an athlete and the guy is not an nba all-star or an mlb all-star or whatnot and they're creating a logo around them and the reason why I say that is because logos, unless you're LeBron James or Dwayne Wade or these other top tier percentage of athletes, 
logo stores creating a clothing brand around their logo and their name, it doesn't sell and players want it. I get it. You want to be Michael Jordan. You want to be all these other things that you looked up to and idolized as a kid. Um, I idolized Ken Griffey Jr. You had the Swing Man logo, all that sort of stuff. But unless you're into in that top sphere, the business decision is monetize your face, your name, you as an athlete and you as a sport. If it's about monetizing your opportunity to why you have that platform and let that kind of evolve into the fun offspring that that has and and creating cool stuff that might just be sayings or other things that are more fashionable. But don't launch. Don't launch your business unless you're willing to put in the money and the time and build a team around it and actually create a clothing brand not just a merch store, don't launch it with a logo and logoed hoodies and logoed shirts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, only because the failure rate is so, so big for these guys. It's different. Like I said, if you're starting a clothing brand and you're willing to invest into it, because now you can do online ads and you can do all these other things that are going to help us succeed, but most guys aren't willing to do that. No, I, I think you, you, you're pointing to something really important. I think a question like a why, <laughs> Why should I do that? I think that's a very critical question to ask, right? I'm not the top five guys, right? Mm -hmm. People, you know, creating a logo store. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the technical. It's like not hiring an architect to architect the building first properly, right? And you're hiring construction workers. Yeah. And you go like, why did the building come out horrible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you didn't get an architect. <laughs> The architect architect would have surveyed the area, would have seen how you fit into that area or what kind of experience you want to create, the strategy, right? And does it make sense for you? You just went out and hired a bunch of construction guys and said, go and build a building for me. Mm -hmm. You're not, you, not going to get any results from it just because that's what everybody else is doing. You think that it's going to work for you? It may not. Yeah. Or it definitely, to your point, it definitely will not, you know? So mm -hmm. don't, don't even waste your 10, 20K, which you think is, is a minimal drop in the bucket. You're losing that money because you're not going about it the right way. That 10, 20K could have been spent in a better way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Could have been spent on, could have been spent on ads. And, and I like to throw in too, that it's not just, I'm not just trying to pitch myself here. Like go hire somebody like Jacqueline Dahl. Like she's, she's awesome. Um, she's Patrick Mahomes, a brand marketing person. And, and uh, there's so many great people in the industry that, that you can have run this stuff. It could be me. I'd be more than happy to. Um, there's so many great people like Jacqueline that, that you could reach out. Definitely to. you, Kyle. Everyone, <laughs> whoever's watching, you, you need to check him out. Definitely. Uh, Kyle, thank you for being uh, part of the show, uh, being a guest on the show. I really appreciate your wisdom and expert insights. insights. And sports e-commerce is a, is a different, and this, this is why I wanted to dedicate this episode to just uh, sports and pro athletes and athletes you know because it, it is a different kind of a specialty and and most people think e-commerce is e-commerce it's not you know it depends on fashion e-commerce is very different than than sports e-commerce than it is selling comic books it's it's different you know right. uh it's not like you you go and talk and say that hey i want a doctor what kind of doctor is it a foot doctor or a heart doctor <laughs> completely a different specialty and so thank you for uh, coming in here, uh, sharing your expertise with us and and uh, and all of your insights, very valuable. And uh, we really appreciate you being part of the show. I appreciate you having me on. It was a blast. All right. Thanks, Kyle. And thank you, audience, uh, for uh, tuning in to this episode of uh, This Week with Sabir. Uh, right now, we're at the tail end of the year. So, Kyle, by the way, you were the final episode of this year, 2020. 
And thank God 2020 is over, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm taking a two week break uh, from the show and we do have a lot of episodes planned for 2021 where, and, and we will be coming back. Definitely if you have not, uh, during these two weeks of break, if you have not checked out uh, other episodes of This Week with Sabir, whether in video format or, or in, as an audio podcast, you can find us everywhere. Uh, please do check it out, take notes, and I hope that you get a, a, a plenty of insights from it. Uh, thank you for joining us and happy holidays for everyone.